I was, if I may. <laughs> Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 4. It's on page 1123. And we're reading verses 5 to 15. It's under the heading, Treasures in Jars of Clay. For do we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life, his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is indeed his word. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. I hope you're enjoying our series of summertime sermon selections uh, that we're going through. We have got Keith uh, back with us next week, and we've also got Phil and Ben uh, going to preach with uh, for us in the coming week, so I'm looking forward to that too. This week, uh, we're revisiting uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which is uh, we looked at uh, a while back now, but... Uh, I just wanted to look at Paul's mindset when things are bad and he's under attack with people criticising him and trying to bring him down. So with that in mind, I wonder how our self-esteem is going this morning. Maybe someone's uh, criticised you or uh, perhaps you're feeling down or, or hopeless uh, we'd, we'd sort of describe that as having low self-esteem. Or maybe you think very highly of yourself. Uh, hopefully uh, there's no one that thinks that you think a little bit too highly of yourself. That would be a little bit awkward. But uh, in that case, we would think about having high self-esteem. But the Apostle Paul didn't have either of those. He didn't have high self-esteem. He didn't have low self-esteem, he had no self-esteem. And by that, I don't mean that he was just a uh, hopeless uh, mess or, or on the floor, but this whole idea of having a, a self, 
esteem wasn't even in his universe. His identity, his value, his joy, his treasure were all based somewhere else. And hopefully as we look at this passage this morning, we'll, uh, we'll understand why. But first, let's, let's pray together. Lord, I, I pray that uh, as we look at your word, that we'll see uh, who we really are, but also who we are in Christ. And I pray that uh, you'll impress on our hearts the immense value we have in belonging and being in Christ. And I pray that all that I say this morning will be true and that you will be glorified because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if anyone's uh, got an excuse, I think, to feel sorry for themselves, it's the Apostle Paul. He's, he's constantly got all these horrible things happening to him, shipwrecks, serious health issues, being in hunger and exposed, beatings, false imprisonment, people trying to kill him, and all sorts of horrible sufferings. And now the church in Corinth, where he had taught them and established them in love, now there were men rising up as leaders who were really smooth-talking and really popular, and they were just dumping on Paul. Uh, some popular, if you wanted to call them celebrity preachers, uh, had risen up and wanted to replace Paul and take over the show. And they use big words and tricks and flashiness, and they distort the truth to preach a different Jesus, to make their message more attractive to the listeners. And they tell the church, don't listen to Paul. The guy's he's a loser, basically. You know it yourself. Sure, he writes okay in his letters, but you've seen him. You've heard him. He, he's hopeless at preaching. He just keeps sort of blundering along, talking about Jesus dying all the time. It's no wonder that he doesn't get many converts. And we think that he must be a secret sinner because why else would God be letting all these horrible things happen to him constantly? He's just obviously not the right material. Forget him and his teaching. And they were, they were clever sounding and attractive and popular and prosperous and giving the people what they wanted to hear. And maybe they had designs on being the first uh, celebrity uh, preachers in the, in the first megachurch of Corinth. I don't know what their plan was. But here with Paul, we have a comparison and he's not easy on the eye and he's not rich and impressive. He's not got the right academic credentials according to his critics, what they want from him. He's not really a dynamic speaker, if you want to put it that way. He's not a good showman. He's afflicted and poor. And he goes around preaching Christ and him crucified all the time, which just kind of put seems to put a lot of people off. If Paul was alive today, I, I sort of wonder what the equivalent of our sort of so-called celebrity uh, Christian preachers might say to him. So these are, these are quotes from celebrity preachers from our day of what they might say to Paul in his uh, down situation. They might say, Paul, your dream may look impossible, but God said blessings will chase you down. Ask big. Take the limits off God. 
See, Paul, they'd say, God wants you to have all your dreams come true. You just aren't asking big enough. Or they might say, Paul, you're down and out at the moment, but when the negative thoughts come, and they will, you have to replace it with a positive thought. You see, Paul, it's just mind over matter. Or maybe they might give Paul a bit of tough love and say, Paul, God wants you to be a winner and not a whiner. And that's, I guess that's kind of catchy. <laughs> or how about, I don't know, I'm just, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Uh, or how about, Paul, it's God's will for you to live in prosperity instead of poverty. Yeah, forget all those shipwrecks and everything. It's God's will for you to pay your bills and not be in debt. I, I don't even know how to, how to explain how bad this stuff is. And, and Paul would have, would have shut that down long before that. But how does Paul make his life better? How does he become popular again with the church and impress more people? Well, he doesn't. Back in verse 6, he's just talked about this glorious light, the glory of God Almighty seen in the person of Jesus Christ, the mercy and power of Christ crucified for sinners like us so that we can be reconciled to God when we should have so rightly been condemned for our grievous rebellion as we waved our little fists at God. And yet Christ came down and died to save sinners. And there can be no greater news, no greater treasure than that. And Paul was just talking about this most wonderful treasure, this treasure of ultimate value, and God puts it in clay pots. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. God puts this amazing treasure in boring, old, unremarkable clay pots. And in the, in the context, we're not even talking about like, you know, nice clay vases or anything else. It's, it's just basically describing what they would have had of common, cheap, consumable clay containers that they would get at the markets. They would either put uh, flour or grain in it. Some of them were used for even less honourable uh, purposes than that. And it has imperfections over time. It gets chipped and scratched. Someone drops it. You get the broom, sweep it up and go and get another one. You don't even sort of really think about it. It's just a plain old pot. And the God of the universe, with all power and majesty, chose to leave his profound treasure in unremarkable clay pots, pots like Paul, pots like you and me. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul says to his critics, you say that I'm not good enough, you, that I don't look right, that I don't impress anyone, that people aren't going to be converted because of just my plain speech. Well, you're actually right. It's true. I'm the least of the apostles. I was a wretched sinner who once persecuted the church. But that's the point. God uses lowly clay jars to pour out his treasure, to show that people all over the world 
are being miraculously transformed by the gospel, not by the abilities of men, but by the power of God. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. If you've ever dropped a, a clay jar onto a hard floor, uh, you'll know how resilient it is. It's, it's not basically you drop it and you hear a shattering sound and you pick up the big pieces and sweep away the rest. It's destroyed. And so here's Paul, this self-admitted common clay jar, and people are just lining up to take a swing at him, and he should be broken down and he should be destroyed easily, but he's not. Paul's critics keep saying all this bad stuff's happening to him because he isn't a man of God, but the opposite is true. The fact that Paul just keeps preaching the gospel through all these trials and persecutions and he isn't crushed and he isn't silenced and he still has his peace and he still has his joy just goes to prove what he's saying. It's not him. It's the power of God through him. So how, how does this work? I mean, what, what's Paul's secret? Yes, if, we were, if we were judging by those uh, celebrity preachers today by their standards, Paul wouldn't be popular enough probably to get a book deal. He certainly wouldn't get his own TV show, I don't think. Paul doesn't say that that peace and, and joy and value as a person comes from making your dreams come true and, and feeling uh, really good about yourself. The secret is not in living your best life now. It's in dying. Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Dying is Paul's way of life. Paul said to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's not fearful of losing his life because he's already dead. The old Paul, the, the self-righteous one, the one who was the enemy of Christ, is already dead. It's Christ now living in him. And he takes the persecution and the beatings and all these other horrible things because they're not towards him. He tells the Galatians, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Paul's sharing in, in a way, as it were, in the death of Jesus, but rather than being afraid of losing his life, he has joy and peace because his life is in Christ. He's being made alive in Christ, and when his earthly body is done, it means he will have joy of being with Christ in person. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, Paul says in Romans 14. Isn't it 
amazing when you think about it. You know, we, we hear about people who really do have treasures in this life. Maybe they were once a, a famous rock star or they won the lottery or whatever, and they have this fantastic life. They buy the mansion and the Ferrari, but they don't handle it well. And a few years later, they've blown it all and they're left poor and empty. And they had all that money and popularity for a time, but there's no deep joy. There's no peace. And when their earthly body is done, they face standing under judgment before a holy and righteous God. And yet here's the Apostle Paul. He has nothing. He is a worthless clay jar. He's suffering daily, but he has real joy and he has peace in Christ. He's has, he has a value as one who Christ died to save and he gets to look forward to the fact that soon his best life is yet to come in eternity in the awesome presence of Christ himself. And at the same time, Christ is living in Paul and other people get to hear the words of Christ through Paul. By the grace of God, they miraculously transform from being dead in their sins and trespasses and instead in repentance and faith become a new life, a new creation in Christ. So all all throughout Paul's writings, you get this image of, of living and dying, this paradox that the only way to be truly living is in dying. Jesus said, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Our first reading this morning was from Psalm 116. And it actually, because of translation issues, it actually reads a little bit differently, but that's actually what Paul is is quoting uh, there in verse 13. And there's a logical uh, progression there. He's given the spirit of faith, He believes and he speaks. And if you think about it, you know, pretty much most of Paul's problems would have just gone away if he just sort of, you know, put a zipper over his mouth and just not preached and not not said anything, basically. But Paul is compelled to speak. He believes, therefore he must speak. He knows that he has life in Christ and he's, but he speaks for their benefit so that more and more people will come to know Christ. Why? What's the ultimate end to this? So that thanksgiving will overflow to the glory of God. If you've had a chance to look at the church website, someone updated it. I don't know if I like it that much, but uh, right on the front page, <laughs> uh, you'll see in big blue uh, writing our, our church uh, mission statement. And it's basically, it's just a summary from a question in the Westminster Confession. And, and it says this, our aim is to glorify and enjoy God and make him known. And that's a great statement. And 
far be it for me to criticize that anyway but <laughs> technically if i wanted to make a quibble i'd say well those actually those last two things are, are sort of secondary they're important but they they flow naturally from the first if we're going to just look at the the short uh answer the main answer to what's the purpose of life it's just in that first part to glorify god in the in the late 1960s, one of the most famous bands, the Beatles, was, the Beatles went to India uh, on a to go on a spiritual and and philosophical journey, trying to find the the meaning and the answers to life. And I know, you know, even for me as a as a teen, I think we all go through that. There is this idea that we need to work out who we are and to find ourselves and discover the meaning of life. And I wish that I would have had you know, something just like the church <laughs> website there that I could go and say, oh, there's the answer. It's not something we made up. It's the teaching of scripture. The meaning of our lives is to glorify God. That's it. That's what you're alive for. And any other good thing in your life flows from that. The God who created the universe, who formed me out of dust, who graciously still let me live all those years while I sinned against him, who sent his own son to suffer and die on a gruesome wooden cross for me, while all the while I was like those who spat on him and mocked him, so that for all eternity the whole universe can say, well, look at, at what God did for Cameron. He took a worthless, broken sinner and bought him with his son's own precious blood. What a great God he is. That's why Paul exists. That's why I exist. That's why you exist. What higher purpose can there be for a jar of clay, a worthless pot to have, but to be filled with the mercy and grace of God, to contain the treasure of the message that all who repent and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved and live in the presence of God in joy, praising him for all eternity. And sadly, that seems very different to what many churches teach today. The gospel is presented uh, often that, you know, we should feel good about ourselves because God just thinks we're so adorable that he just you know, can't possibly be happy living without us. And so he wants to give us lots of stuff to, to make us happy. And he wants us to know how wonderful we are so that we feel good about ourselves. And that might, I guess, sound nice on the surface, but there's no true, deep, lasting joy in that message. And basically it becomes all about us and not about God. The true Deep joy comes from seeing ourselves as we truly are, poor, broken, sinful clumps of clay, and then seeing the grace and mercy of God come down to us when we are nothing and bestow on us the greatest treasure we could ever know. And to take this worthless clay pot and transform it from a vessel de deserving wrath to a vessel of honour and to lift us up and place us on the top shelf to be with him, to bask in his awesome presence for all eternity. And it's nothing about us, and it's all about 
the glory of God. What freedom there is knowing that it's nothing based on, on you or me and our pathetic failures, but there's such a joy knowing that it's all about the glory of God. I know uh, there was a time when I kind of struggled with that idea a little bit when I first came across it because we kind of think in our sort of selfish minds, well, why did God just make us to glorify him? You know, does he just want to hear how great he is, like some sort of like us, like a vanity sort of thing? And it seemed like a, a, an insult at first to my pride and I struggled until one day it, it, the awesome grace of God broke through and I saw the kindness of God. God doesn't want me to spend eternity to glorify him because he's like me and has some sort of human ego. He wants us to glorify him for eternity because he deserves it and because he is kind. It's just and fitting and, and right that we glorify God, but it's also the highest privilege that a created creature could ever be given. So like the Apostle Paul, each day we live in this world, you believe, you speak, you die in Christ so that he lives in you and others come to know him through you and God is glorified. And when the day comes that God takes you from this life, you, the worthless clay pot, get raised up to honour and you have joy forever, the highest calling that, and, and worth that you could ever have to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that uh, each of us know what it is to die to ourselves, to pick up our, our cross daily and to follow Christ. And Lord, I pray that uh, we will say along with John the Baptist that we must decrease and Christ must increase in our lives. We thank you for the, the treasure that you've entrusted to us. We pray that uh, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that our joy and peace is firmly based on that treasure. Lord, you've uh, granted us belief. Please also compel us to speak. May others hear the words of Christ through us and uh, they may pass from death to life also. Lord, we praise you for the greatest honour we'll ever know, for all eternity to bask in your presence and to praise and glorify you. Amen.